Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, peoples of the internet, listeners of the things. Today I want to talk a little bit about work-life balance, or we might say cycling-life balance. A lot of these concepts will be interchangeable. So I'm going to start off by reading a little bedtime story, or a daytime story, rather. It's from Paul Check's blog. We're going to put a link to that in the show notes. Paul shares with us a drawing of a dragon that he did, and it's uh, it's quite colorful and dragony, a lot of scales and fangs and stuff. And Paul says, my drawings of dragons are largely motivated by my studies of Chinese cosmology. In the Chinese cosmology story, the dragon creates universes as its hobby. Each time it creates a new universe, it breathes two new dragons into existence. One is the female dragon, or yin, and the other is her identical twin brother, yang. The dragon then says to his children, this is your universe. You can rest from the responsibility of managing your universe when the two of you can get along. So the idea here is pretty simple. It's that yin and yang are two energies that are a bit opposite to each other and they're always tussling and playing and fighting, kind of swinging back and forth a bit like a pendulum. And I want to outline these concepts so that we can understand how they play out in your life. These two energies are constantly fluctuating. And when we have one or the other in great excess, problems ensue. What we're looking for, what we're striving towards is balance. Of course, that's an ideal. And it's actually not really the perfect end goal because The interplay between yin and yang is what causes movement or tension in the universe. And if they were perfectly matched all the time, then there would be no movement. But don't get caught up in that wormhole because the vast majority of us have too much of one or the other. And excess is unfortunately a common theme in 2020. So let's unpack yin and yang a bit, or yang as it's more properly pronounced. I'm going to go with yang because that's how I roll. Heard it both ways, so we'll just go with it. Examples of yin and yang. Yin is more anabolic or muscle building. Yang would be more catabolic or muscle destroying. Yin is wet, yang dry. A seed is yin. A sprout is yang. Nighttime is yin, of course, because yin is rejuvenative energy or restorative. The daytime is yang. The daytime is when you do all the things and expend all the energy you deplete. Yin is a cooling energy. Yang is warming. Yin is slower. Any activity that's done at a slower pace will be progressively more yin and any activity that's done with a faster rhythm or faster pace is progressively more yang. On the way to the office today, I was driving and I stopped at a light. I don't drive very often because I'm like 40 year old virgin. I drive a bicycle 
But I was actually driving today. And I was stopped at the red turn arrow to turn left. And at the light, there was a car that decided to do a burnout in place, even though the car was behind several other vehicles. I couldn't go anywhere. So there was the smoke and the noise and the tires and the burning rubber and the whole bit. And everyone turned around and looked. And it was, you know, pretty cool, I suppose. So then the straight arrow goes green and that line of traffic goes forward and Mr. Mr. Rubber Racer goes tearing off across the intersection with he and his buddies. And I'm kind of watching all this happen. And then our arrow turns green to turn left. And about 0.8 seconds later, the person behind me honks their horn. Obviously, this person is in a hurry to go somewhere. Now, normally, I'm pretty conscientious of being out of other people's ways. I find it particularly frustrating when I'm trying to go somewhere and be very yang and get all my stuff done and do all the things. And I tend to have a quite full day, as many of us do. And if someone's doing 25 miles an hour in a 40 in front of me, it can be a bit frustrating because my perspective is, man, I got places to be. Can you please be sensitive to the fact that there's someone driving behind you and that they want to go somewhere in a timely fashion? But today, for whatever reason, I decided to respond a little more slowly. My instinct was that this person behind me probably needed to slow down for some reason. That was maybe a bit of a lofty consideration on my part. I mean, who am I to decide what are the person's need? But to be fair, there are two lanes as soon as you made the turn. If they wanted to go around me, they could. Well, as it turned out, I accelerated very slowly and took quite a bit of time to get up to the speed limit. And this person went even slower. Who knows? Maybe they hit the horn by mistake, but I felt in that moment that to slow down was the wiser choice. We'll let the universe decide if I was right. But I bring that up as an illustration of a way in which you can embody yin or yang activity in or energy in any decision you make. This is always possible. It just requires a bit of consciousness, a bit of conscious action, which is always the goal. Yin is also parasympathetic. We hear a lot about the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems and how the sympathetic nervous system is always ramped up because we're being chased by tigers. This is the colloquial example. And only now apparently tigers are shaped like cell phones. So yang is of course sympathetic energy. Yin is about unity. Yang is more along the lines of division. Yin is more nurturing. Yang is provoking. Yin is accumulating and yang is of course spending. When you divide and spend, then you are left with depletion if you do it to excess. Yin is water, yang is air. This is an important one. To, to have yang energy on the bike is to work out, which is the colloquial, I mean that in the most colloquial sense, work out, go have a workout or to go to the gym and work out. You can also exercise in a way that is rejuvenative. That is working in, that's Paul's term for physical motion that doesn't deplete you, but it actually rejuvenates you. 
And I'll talk a little bit more about those concepts and how those can be integrated. But it's a very Western concept to assume that every workout has to accomplish something and you have to be smashed at the end of it or it wasn't worthwhile. It's a very yang concept to associate working out with no pain, no gain, or that it's all about suffering. And some people love that mindset and lots of people are also addicted to the neurochemicals that are released when we exercise like that. Probably myself included. Yin is also about creativity. Yang, the yang translation would be transformation or transforming. On the inside, we have nature, spirituality, and silence. And on the yang side, we have industry, science, and language. Although that said, I do know a lot of women who like to talk a lot. Which brings me to my point that we all have yin and yang energy in all of us. We assign these masculine and feminine characteristics to them. And likewise, we should contain both energies in ourselves. We should be able to express both energies at different points throughout our day, throughout our lives. That would be having balance. If there's excess yang, you end up dried out, depleted. Uh, if you ride your bike way too much, this results in adrenal exhaustion, right? Dehydration, glycogen depletion, either acutely or over a longer timeline or both. So when you train to excess, you are embodying yang energy. How do you regenerate? How do you swing the pendulum back the other way? You embody or you actualize yin activities. The single biggest yin activity we have, the most important one is sleeping. Sleeping is number one, as Nacho says. Okay, so let's, let's consider for a moment the big picture here. Why do we care about our yang lifestyle, all the yang activities we're doing on a daily basis? Well, imagine you are in the final seconds of your life. You, you're about to die. You're on your deathbed. And this should not be a new thing, a new thought that goes through your head. Or as we can discover in a quote from the Hagakure, the way of the samurai is found in death. Meditation on inevitable death should be performed daily. Every day when one's body and mind are at peace, one should meditate upon being ripped apart by arrows, rifles, spears, and swords, being carried away by surging waves, being thrown into the midst of a great fire, being struck by lightning, being shaken to death by a great earthquake, falling from thousand-foot cliffs, dying of disease, or committing seppuku at the death of one's master. And every day, without fail, one should consider himself as dead. This is the substance of the way of the samurai. Some people will think this is super morbid or depressing, but I don't see it that way at all. To me, it's the opposite. When I consider my own death, maybe not in as cool or dramatic a way as the samurai is going to die, I see the precious gift that I've been given on this planet. And I, it makes me, it helps me have gratitude or perspective of gratitude about the opportunities I have to impact people's lives positively. 
to do cool things, to experience amazing things. You know, life's not a resume. No one looks back on your life when you die and counts you, counts the number of cool things you had. You have to have those for yourself. And I'm not here to have a list of accomplishments on my gravestone or my eulogy or whatever. That's not what it's about. So in these final seconds of your life, are you going to think to yourself, well, crap, I never got that to-do list done. I never had that gutter fixed. I never, I didn't have the oil changed regularly in my car. You know, what are people going to think? Never picked up that dry cleaning. Of course not. These are not important things. These are just to-dos on a list. What we're going to be considering is the significant moments of our life. And we're going to be wanting to connect with our loved ones, our family and our friends that had meaningful impact on us. You know, for me, that's going to be the day I got married, the day my daughter was born, the day I rode in the Olympic Games, the day my mother died, the day my father died. These are what I expect to go through my head in the final seconds of my life. I mean, I don't know for sure, to be honest, I'm not dead and I've never had a near-death experience. I'm just a living person. So I'm imagining how this is going to go down. That's the point of the exercise is to consider it. And when you look back on your life and you think about how you lived your life, how you chose to spend your time, are you going to be satisfied with a life of robotronic activities where you just shot asteroids endlessly and did it as quickly as possible? I mean, this is the nature of this game, Robotron specifically. You had two controllers. You had one that was a directional joystick, which didn't actually move your character, which was Robotron. Robotron always stayed central, central to the screen. What it moved was the direction of fire from your laser cannon. And the button was your second controller, and that controlled every time your laser fired. What was cool about the game is you could... So you could point the laser very quickly, but you could also hit the button very fast and it was extremely responsive. That was the whole nature of the game. It was a very, very yin, yang oriented exercise. And when you live in that universe of trying to shoot as many asteroids as possible, as quickly as possible, your entire life is yang energy and you will end up dried out and depleted. Not only that, but you'll have used your limited finite amount of time on this planet doing things that amount to no thing because ultimately you are no one, no place, no time, and no thing. Meditate on that. I'm going to tell you a secret. The asteroids never stop coming. You are in an asteroid field constantly. The only way to check out of the field is to go live in Alaska and catch salmon in a river and go completely off grid. And if you're doing that, then you're not listening to this podcast. So for everyone else who's either part of this audience or every other person on the planet, you are in an asteroid field of constant things to do. So how do we do it? There is no field in which the asteroids stop coming. The practice is to use discernment. You decide which asteroids are imminent, which ones must be dealt with, 
which ones can be left for later and which ones can be ignored completely. And you use an extremely discerning method when you categorize these asteroids. That is how we maintain sanity. When you assume that all these asteroids that are hurtling at you must be dealt with in some way, or you are paralyzed with indecision, you're going to have a constant level of anxiety. I hate to say it, but being decisive is one of the core skills to live with some semblance of parasympathetic normalcy in our age. So when we translate this to cycling, this extends to actualizing yin activities. It means not always assuming that more is better, which is a yang mentality. It means always adding an extra interval, doing every interval until your eyeballs bleed, adding more kilometers because you have time. Basically, it's the entire foundation of it is the more is better attitude or the more is better philosophy. And to be clear, cycling is an endurance sport and there are times when more is better, especially as a competitive rider. Where I think people get a little mixed up is they overestimate the more is better model at the expense of rejuvenation and recovery. And they also overestimate their own, we'll say, happiness quotient coming out of practicing that model in the sport. They assume that if they're 5% faster, it's going to make them 100% happier because they're going to be so much better in the next criterium or the next group ride. And the reality is that most people don't win races most of the time. Racing's not a court sport. You don't either win or lose. Most bike races you lose because you didn't win. Now, of course, I'm not painting a dark picture on that. I think there's a lot of things you can learn and win and gain from getting 12th place in a criterium or 40th place in a criterium. You don't, winning is not the only thing. I'm not Reese Bobby here. I'm not telling you if you ain't first, you're last. I was probably high when I said that. You can be all kinds of other places. You can be third, fifth. Anyway, so I'm not saying winning is the only thing of value at all. Far from it. What I'm saying is treat the sport as a practice and balance out the yang, the doing, the dividing, the smashing, the, the perfect productivity with some yin activities. And what is yin at its core? It's about self-care. It's about taking care of the self, or I'll go one step further. It's about loving yourself. That one probably got a few people, probably hit them if they were listening in a place. And what that means is if you were a little reactive to the statement, do you love yourself or the question, do you love yourself? Then there's a good chance that you are struggling with that issue for some reason. What does that mean? Well, in our society, it's not necessarily highly valued to love yourself. What we're focused on is doing, but we're not human doings. We're human beings. And in order to be, you've got to be in a place of love. You've got to look after yourself. So Okay, let's break down some basic ways to add yin to your life. Look, I mean, we can go a number of different directions with this. And some of them can be super hippy dippy woo woo. You can be like me and go do Tai Chi every day and have your Tai Chi stick and be a hippie and that's fine. But you don't have to do that if that's not you. The key is to figure out what works for you. Yin is fundamentally anything that's rejuvenative. That can be 
simply moving very slowly. It can be a really slow walk with the dog. And maybe if you want extra credit, you can focus on some breath work. Box breathing is a very simple way to turn a walk into something that is yin. What's box breathing? Pretty simple. You count for every exhale and every inhale, and you also count for the holds in between at the bottom of the breath and at the top of the breath. So as an example, you might start out walking and you can count as you step. So you can walk four steps and breathe out, hold for four steps, breathe in for four steps, hold for four steps. This sounds really easy for people who have never done it. Try walking for 10 minutes straight and actually doing a four count box breath with slow steps. It's quite challenging. Requires a lot of attention. It can be kind of boring and monotonous. And sometimes yin activities can be very productive when they're a bit boring and monotonous. People who get bored quickly probably have a hard time sitting still and being with themselves. So if you get really bored very fast after 30 seconds of attempted meditation or box breathing, recognize that reactivity. Maybe that's something in you that needs to be dug into a little further. Are you a person who's capable of intentionally setting aside aside time for you to just take care of yourself? It can be gentle stretching. Yin can be chanting, humming, singing, making music on a handpan. Yin can be making art. Yin can be dancing, right? Any of these activities can be added to daily life, even in small doses. And it's what Paul would refer to as unbound play. It's the opposite of a yang activity, which has an end. It has a goal. It has a checklist. It's got a little box you can check at the end of it and say, I did that. I took out the trash and then I scrubbed the kitchen and then I vacuumed. And when you do all those things, you feel productive and you feel good. And we all have to do productive things in our life. What I'm saying is there are moments in life where you should do something without aim, unbound play. Just do something for the fun of it. Make a doodle, draw a funny picture. It doesn't have to be a good picture. It doesn't have to be some master work of art. You're not going to turn into Da Vinci with your pencil and your your post-it note. Just make a funny picture of a poodle or a sunshine or whatever. Sing a random song. Do something goofy with your kids for a few minutes. That is all, that all, those all fit the definition of unbound play. And when we add those to our life, when we choose to add yin activities to our life and stop always adding to the yang pile, here's the magic of it. Your next interval workout becomes more productive because you didn't ride all week and maximize every single mile and go around the block four more times to add another 3K. Instead, you went home and you played with your kids for a few minutes or you did something random or just sang a song and it balanced out your energy and it helped add to the recovery pile, the rejuvenation pile. It swung the pendulum slightly the other way from your two-hour ride you just did with your intervals or your group ride or whatever you just participated in or your hill climb. When you take a moment to breathe deep and stretch your muscles at the end of the day before you climb into bed, it's rejuvenative. And then your next interval workout two days later is that much sharper. It's that got that much more depth because psychologically you're more balanced. 
and physically you've given yourself the opportunity to calm the nervous system. This isn't just philosophy. This is also about reducing cortisol, lowering cortisol levels and lowering adrenaline levels, which are both jacked up every time we get on the bike and go hard. So when you walk in the door from a ride, you've got high adrenaline, you've got high muscle tone, you have high cortisol levels. You feel like a million bucks because you just rode your bike and your body's flooded with all kinds of post-exercise endorphins. And that's great. When the workout's over though, it's time to reverse that cycle and swing the pendulum to the other side. Focus on recovery modalities. Focus on rejuvenative modalities. This is where yin comes in. So when we think about life from this bigger picture perspective and we can act more, we can make choices in daily life with more conscious intent, then we're able to see the motivation behind our activities, behind our decisions, instead of blindly choosing to always do more, 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 ride more, accomplish more, smash more, go deeper. The last bit I'll give you is one of Paul's happy little mnemonics. He has some sayings that are a bit corny at times. And this is what's brilliant about them. Because they're corny, you tend to remember them. And they're corny on purpose so that you remember them so that when you snap into reactive, sympathetic, stress bomb asteroid mode, you can easily recall this technique. That's why he does what he does. So you might read some of his material initially and think, this guy's kind of a dork. Like, why does he come up with these silly names for these things? Paul's really smart. He's forgotten more things than I've read in my entire life. So his technique is called, I don't know what it's called, but it's got three phases. Name it, blame it, and tame it. The name it is when you feel yourself being reactive, when you feel yourself behaving unconsciously, when you feel yourself automatically engaging in a behavior that is, in this example, or in this discussion, more yang. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to divide this. So when you name it, you call it something. So let's say that your yang tendency is You've got 15 minutes between when you have to leave, when you're home and when you have to leave for the next appointment. And immediately you're thinking about how you can fill that 15 minutes with something productive to make yourself feel good. This is equivalent to a Yang Halloween candy bowl. It means you're going to walk by it and grab a Snickers and eat it and feel great. Just because you walk by the bowl, you grabbed it and you put it in your mouth and, ooh, that tastes good. Okay. So it's a candy bowl. It's a candy grab. It's a simple thing you can do that make yourself feel good, but it's a Band-Aid. What can you do in 15 minutes at home? Uh, you can change that light bulb, run downstairs, look in the box, find, run to the garage, find the light bulbs, grab the light bulb, run upstairs, take the old one out of the lamp. It's the wrong wattage. Go downstairs, drop the light bulb on the floor because you're in a hurry. Smash the light bulb all over the floor. The dog walks in the floor, the basement floor. And now you're concerned about the dog cutting his paws. This is an example of your neurotic behavior, I'll say, or your compulsive desire to fill the day with productive activities has gone slightly wrong because you filled it with too much yang intent. You're trying to cram too much crap into your day and now it's taken a twist and now you're stressed. 
So, okay, you're sweeping the glass up on the floor and the dog cuts his paw and now you're considering going to the vet and you have to hold him down with the tweezers and now you're late for your appointment. And then the afternoon, the rhythm of the afternoon has been derailed all because of a broken light bulb. Okay, silly example, but you get my point. Let's reflect on this for a moment while you're pulling this glass out of your poor lab's paws. We, what happened? What happened was you tried to jam a project into a time frame, and you were concerned about the time, so you rushed, and that caused a mistake. And you could say, well, it was just a mistake. I dropped a light bulb. That happens all the time. Yeah, of course. But as we rush and try to do things, cram more into our days, shoot more asteroids, and become more robotronic, the chances of us doing something sloppily or making a mistake just go up. It's just the way humans work. So we name it. What are we going to name this guy? Well, let's call it the I'm rushed. What are we going to call this? I'm rushed and I rushed and sloppy monster, right? This is how Paul terms that. I told you it was corny. The I'm rushed and sloppy monster. <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to blame it. Well, whenever my I'm Russian sloppy monster comes out, I tend to break things. And in this case, I actually injured one of my family members. I was responsible for this. Bad sloppy monster. Bad Russian sloppy monster. Now I'm going to tame it. Well, okay. How do we tame it? Just by witnessing it. Look, this is really just a simple meditation practice. By witnessing your own behavior, by removing yourself from the behavior and recognizing it from afar and calling it out what it is by naming it, you are distancing yourself from it. And as soon as you do that, you realize that you have a choice. You don't have to automatically be driven by that behavior in future similar circumstances. So the next time you've got 14 and a half minutes and you want to do something productive, instead of scrolling Instagram and blowing your mind up, Maybe you're just going to put your phone down and do a gentle forward bend and take six deep inhales and six deep exhales. You're going to alternate those, by the way. Don't do all the inhales at once. It doesn't really work well. Maybe you're just going to stand in place with perfect posture. Find your gravity line, which means extend your spine slightly and lift your toes off the ground and see if your weight shifts back. It's really common for people who have yang-oriented behaviors to be leaning forward. Literally, their physical posture is leaning forward. Their weight is more on the balls of their feet and less on the heels. And sometimes their hips are shifted forward and their entire body is leaning forward because they're always going and doing. So you can see this posturally in some people. So when we want to check out of the yang for a moment and stop doing it can be useful to pull our weight back, our standing weight back, so that we drive the heels into the ground. And the way to check if your weight is too far forward, stand with what you think is perfect posture, and then just lift up all five of your toes on each foot. And if your weight rocks back, you know that you were not centered. So now we're going to center your weight over the heels and the balls of the feet. And just take a moment and breathe. I'll give you another secret. There's a lot of science behind this, some of which I know and a lot of which I don't, but it doesn't really matter. I don't know how my computer works either, but it sends email and I can use it. So this is how to use this. Breathe in to the count of six. 
breathe out to the count of six. Six is the magic number. Six by six by six, six deep breaths. Count of six, count of six exhale, count of six inhale. That will bring you right back into parasympathetic if you do it in a calming way, with a calming intent, not with a checklist way. Don't make it a yang. Don't make it a to-do list. Just drop in and do it. Just check out for a second. So one of my little yin activities that has been pretty potent for the last about year of my life is walking our dog. We own a Shiba Inu. If you don't know what a Shiba Inu is, just picture a miniature version of a husky, but with the demeanor of a Japanese man. Most of them are pretty, pretty aloof. Not necessarily the most affectionate dog, although ours happens to be quite affectionate. Um, well, I wouldn't say happens to be. I mean, we we raised him with a lot of affection, so I think he's grown into that. He's only about nine years old now. His name's Otto. And most Shibas are like a lighter coloring, like a tan and white. He's a black and tan, mostly dark. He's very handsome. But he's kind of funny looking because he had sudden onset of glaucoma in both eyes. And that means his eyeballs kind of swelled up. And so he's sort of this handsome, beautiful dog with this perfect hair and these little cappuccino dots over each eyebrow. We'll definitely need to put a picture of Otto in the show notes. And his eyes are swollen from the glaucoma. So he looks sort of bug-eyed and a little bit deranged. And he's just such a sweetheart. He'll just come up and give everybody little kisses in the backs of their knees and stuff. Very mellow, really chill, super nice, and pretty much loves everyone. But he's, he's funny looking right now. So people are a little a little not quite sure what to do when they see him out when I'm out walking him. But imagine walking a blind 25-pound Shiba Inu who also had knee surgery about a year and a half ago to replace one of his little doggy MCLs. He's not moving too fast. So Otto's job, he has one purpose. He's here to get me to slow down. And it works. So Tonight, actually, I'm going to record our dog walk on Strava and you guys will be shocked to see. I don't know how long it takes. I don't usually time it, but I bet that one lap of our block takes about 25 minutes. <laughs> if that isn't the perfect example of a yin activity, I don't know what is. We all have opportunities for yin in our life. When your child wants to stop and smell a flower or look at a butterfly or pick up a rock or whatever, that's an opportunity to slow down and enjoy. So I encourage you to explore those. And I think we'd all be a little better off if we could learn to caretake ourselves and give ourselves the love that we need. And that ultimately comes down to yin because yin is feminine energy, which is loving and multiplying. So learn how to harness that ability in yourself. And if you can't take care of yourself, well, welcome to your own shadow. That's some work to do. Take a look at that. What's that all about? Comments, questions, useful, total crap. Send me an email. 
cycling in alignment at fastlabs.com. I'm going to go on a nice slow walk. Signing off. See Pierce. Take care. Disclaimer. Listen up, monkeys. The ramblings on this podcast represent me and me alone. They're not indicative of the thoughts or opinions of Fast Labs or Chris Case or Trevor Connor or anyone else. Also, none of this advice is intended to prescribe or diagnose anything. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the internet. So just want to be clear on those points. Thanks for listening.